Well, if you open your Bibles this morning, we'll be turning to Psalm 107. Psalm 107. We won't read the psalm in its, in its entirety. For our purposes this morning, we'll read verses 1 through 16. But with God's Word open before us this morning, let us hear what He has to say. O oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. And He delivered them out of their distresses, and He led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. O oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness, and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He satisfieth a longing soul, and filleth a hungry soul with goodness. Such as sit in darkness, and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron, because they rebelled against the words of God, and contemned the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought their heart down with labor. They fell down, and there was none to help. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death, and brake their bands in sunder. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. Amen. With the word of God open before us, before we hear the preaching of this word, let's bow one more time in a brief moment of prayer. Our God and our Father, Thank you for this book, for this word that you have written unto us, thy people. We ask that we would hear it with all readiness now this morning, that you would feed thy sheep, and that we would rejoice, we would rejoice in the freedom that you give unto us. In Jesus' name, amen. Has God rescued you? Can you, tell me, can you tell me that this morning? That God has delivered you. If you can, then this psalm is written specifically for you. As it says in verses 1 and 2, O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The word redeemed there means rescued. And that is why I ask you if the Lord has rescued you this morning. If I could put the words of the psalmist a little bit differently, he's saying, those of you who have been rescued by the Lord, praise Him for what He has done, for His goodness and for His mercy. And as we are gathered in the Lord's house this morning, as we are gathered to worship Him, we all come from, from different backgrounds, from different walks of life. But that is also how this psalm is written. 
In verse 3, it says, this is speaking of the redeemed of the Lord, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. The redeemed of the Lord have been gathered from every walk of life, from all four points of the compass. And now they have been called in this psalm to praise Him for redeeming them. And that is what the first half of this psalm does. All the way down from verse 1 to verse 32, there are four different kinds of people that the psalmist focuses on and speaks of that the Lord has redeemed. The wanderers, the prisoners, the fools, and the mariners, or the sailors. I don't feel that I could adequately cover all four of these groups this morning, and I don't think you would want me to. But the Lord has laid one in particular on my heart this morning, and that's the prisoners who are found in verses 10 through 16 in the, in the text that we read. And I pray that as we look at this, as we review these verses and see what the Lord would have to say to us, that we wouldn't just see this as this is just something that our minds ascend to. Yes, this is, this is something that we agree with. But this, this is the work of God that He is speaking directly to you and to me this morning to praise Him for. This is something that He calls us to remember this morning. And when we remember it, we owe it to praise Him. And the description, the prisoners here, these are real people. We will see, we will see this later on. There are many who fit this description. But this description may not fit your life exactly. And then for some of you it might. But the purpose of it is chiefly that we would glory in the work that God does. In this text, you would expect to see judgment, which we will see. But instead, we find a story of mercy, of goodness, and of grace. It is then this morning that I would like to preach to you on God's work of setting prisoners free. God's work of setting prisoners free. We come then to the first, and the first point, their captivity. This is found in verses 10 through 12. And we need to see that it was their captivity was in despair. In verse 10 it says, such as sit in darkness. The prisoner pictured here, he's not even seen standing in his cell. Instead, he's sitting on the floor. He has no strength to get up. He can't even see the world around him. We do not know from this text how long that he had been sitting there, but I doubt that it was for a short period of time. And could you try to picture the effect that that darkness has? If I told you I would offer you some random, I don't know, $100, if, no, definitely more than that, to sit for 24 hours in total darkness, what would you worry about that you would have to contend with? The boredom? The silence? The effects that it would have on your mind as you would slowly start to despair? Then what if I said to do it for two days? 
sit in darkness for 48 hours. How about for weeks? Or months? Or years? In darkness. That is the darkness you find this prisoner in this morning. It's not just simply a dimly lit room, but it is total darkness. And he's been there for a long time. He has no window. Nothing to let hope in. Nothing to look forward to. No way to distinguish one moment from another. And all the darkness does, moment by moment, is creep deeper over his own soul. But death is also nearby. We read in verse 10, as he sits in darkness and in the shadow of death. Can you imagine sitting in something shadow? Usually, unless this thing is very large, it means you are very close to it. And that is the imagery that is before us in this text. He is sitting in the shadow of death. It casts its shade over him. In any moment, at any time, it will reach out of that darkness and it will take him. He has no hope. I was thinking of what it was like to be afraid of the dark. I hope this doesn't sound too trite. But I remember I would used to see like a dark corner of my room, or if the closet was open, you would see the darkness, and you would be afraid of perhaps what was in there, something that was watching you, afraid of the unknown. But you grow up. There's nothing to be afraid of. This prisoner, on the other hand, his fear is real. He has much to be afraid of, and he's rightly afraid. But it's worse. He has no hope of escape. In verse 10, being bound in affliction and in iron, there's nothing he can do to change his condition. He sits, perhaps, because standing would do no good. He is chained with iron. And any movement that he would try to make would only remind him of his chains as they rattled. And there's nothing he can do to break them. But he is also constantly afflicted. And his afflictions drag him down and only drive his mind further and further into despair. And as I said, there are thousands upon thousands of people, men and women, who found in this place that we have read of this very day without light, without hope, and without freedom. I would like to begin to apply to who these people exactly are, but I feel we must go further on in the psalm before we do so. Because if we're going to understand exactly what is, what is going on here, we will have to see why. Why is the prisoner found in his cell? Why is he found in this pit? It was because it was deserved. In verse 11, so verse 10 describes how he is bound. Verse 11 says, because. That tells you that what is to follow will explain why this man or this woman is in such misery. 
and it says, because they rebelled against the words of God. In this psalm, it is most likely referring to the children of Israel, to the captivity that they found themselves in the bondage in Babylon. As the Lord came to them in so many different ways, so many different times, so many different men, and He proclaimed to them, He gave them His words. No other nation had the words of God except the children of Israel. And they rebelled over and over and over and over again until they were brought into bondage, until they found themselves in chains. But God testifies against them even more because they hated the counsel of God. That's what it means when it says, contemned the counsel of the Most High. God, He came to His people. He came to them when they were in bondage in the land of Egypt. He brought the ten plagues. No other nation saw the greatness of God as much as Israel did. And when they were brought out, after they had spoiled the enemies, and they were brought out rich, after they had done nothing, and they only turned to watch their enemies drown behind them, as God washed them away. But then the Lord came to them, and He gave them His counsel. He told them how they were to live, how they were to govern themselves, the laws that would, that would rule or govern the nation. And if you look at the actions of the children of Israel, what they did after they received that counsel throughout the years, if their actions could speak, they would say to God, to the face of God, you're wrong. We know a better way. Their better way brought them to this darkness. They forsook the counsel of God. They didn't just forsake them, they hated them. They hated God's law. It was such a burden. It couldn't be... They couldn't bear it, so they hated it and rebelled against it. But then God brought them down. It says again in verse 12, Therefore He brought down their heart with labor. The word labor there could be translated misery. They turned away from God, and in spite of His countless mercies and calling them back to Himself, He broke them one day with misery. Misery upon misery. He took away their light and He put them in chains. So then when we look at this prisoner in his despair, we know he's he's there because he deserves to be there. As it was for the nation of Israel. This is even what Moses warned the people of. In Deuteronomy 30 and verse 19, it says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both thou and thy seed may live. They chose death instead of life according to God's Word. The last result of this we find in verse 12. They were deserted. It says, they fell down and there was none to help. When it says they fell down, the commentators believe it's, it's speaking of their pride. 
they held their heads so highly against God, when they believed that they knew of a better way, they preferred their own pleasures and their own strength above God's. That is not what they are doing anymore. Now they have fallen. Now they sit in darkness with their heads hanging in shame. And they have fallen. The friends have also deserted them. There was none to help. The idols that they trusted in, where are they? When they were in Babylon, where were the idols that filled their homes? Where were the nations that they thought would come to help, like Egypt? They found to be worthless. And the strong men, the young men that once walked upon the walls of Jerusalem, that made it look so strong, they're gone. And there is none to help. There's no hope of rescue. Nobody even cares. Nobody cares that they're in darkness. Nobody cares that Israel was in captivity. There wasn't another nation that mourned their loss. And that's where you find the prisoner in this text. No one cared for him. And as I've been saying, this text is a picture of the children of Israel in their captivity. But let me ask you, do you know someone like this? Someone who, who, who knew the Word of God. They grew up in the church. Perhaps they were catechized. They were given the counsel of God from their youth. And they rebelled. They hated it. They knew a better way. They didn't need God's Word. They didn't need His Gospel. They didn't need His commandments. And now, now they're a prisoner. Or perhaps, if you can look at your own life, this is perhaps the story of you. Even after you were saved, perhaps there was a time when there was something in this world that you found, something that you preferred over God, over His counsel. And so you turned from Him. And you took that instead. But it only made you a prisoner. I fear that far too many know exactly what I'm talking about. I hope that what I'm about to describe, that, that I'm not going to describe someone in this building when I talk about this, but I was, when I was pondering these things, there are those, especially in the church today, who when they, see, when they see men or women, when they see them leave the church and rebel against the Word of God, and when they see them, perhaps the drug addict, or someone who destroys their life in all manner of addictions, but then there's someone in the church who sees them destroy their life, and they gloat over it. It's some sort of justification to them. We stayed in church. We obeyed. As if it proves that they were right and they were wrong. And they take such pleasure in seeing men made prisoners. While I rejoice that God goes after His people, God forbid that one of us should be found digging a deeper pit than the one that God digs for those who go away from Him. Instead of gloating, we ought to plead, plead for them, that their misery would drive them back, 
that they would return and not that they would remain in chains. But praise God. That is what comes to pass in this passage that is before us. And my second point, their rescue. We see their cry. The prisoner, look at him. He's sitting in his dark cell. See him sitting there again. He's bound with chains, and they justly afflict him and bear him down. But in his despair, in that darkness, he cries out. He isn't arguing with God. He isn't pleading for his own innocence in verse 13 when it says, Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble. He is simply looking unto God and he is pleading. He is crying out, yes, I am guilty. And he is pleading for mercy. Have mercy on me, the sinner. And God reached down and rescues them. The words of Spurgeon commenting on verse 13 where it says, He saved them out of their distresses. Spurgeon says, They were long before they cried, but he was not long before he saved. Hallelujah. That is the God that we serve. He's not like us. He does not gloat over the suffering of sinners. He does not get pleasure out of seeing men bound in chains. And when he hears them cry for mercy... God gives it to them in spite of what they deserve. Have you known this mercy? Have you experienced it personally? Do you know what I'm talking about? Or is what I'm, perhaps I'm just so poor at describing things, which that that could be. But have you known it? Have you felt it? Have you been in chains and bondage to any degree no man able to help you. And you don't deserve to be helped. You don't deserve pity, and you don't deserve anybody to care anything about you. But God did. If you remember what that's like, and you're called to praise Him this morning, and you're called to cry out and bless Him for His works, bless Him for His mercy. That's the mercy that brought Israel back after 70 years of captivity. This is the mercy that sets sinners free. And this is the mercy that returns backsliders out of their dark prison cells. And that freedom is what this text goes on to describe as we see that their Savior bringing them out, or their Savior brings them out. The light cut through their darkness when they cried. Once the prisoner was blind, but now he sees. And I don't think I'm stretching the text by any means by saying that it is Christ Himself that takes him by the hand and leads him out of his darkness, leads him out of that cell. That's what you find in verse 14 where it says, He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death. And now they're free. The end of verse 14, I, still, I believe this is still t- speaking of Christ. When it says, or if I could simply rephrase it, and he break their bands in sunder. These were chains of iron that no man could break. But Christ tears them open with ease. There's nothing to them. 
We need to think about why Christ can do that. If you see the prisoner, his chains are broken. He's being led out by Christ by the hand. He's led into the brightness of the day. He could see that those were nail-scarred hands. Those were hands that for all eternity will testify of what Christ did on Calvary. They will be a testimony till the end of time. The sins are paid. The shadow of death that the prisoner deserved to consume him, that deserved and that should have taken him, Christ offered Himself to it instead. The penalty that the prisoner deserved, Christ paid. And because of it, He now bears those marks in His hands, in His feet, and in His side. And with them, He leads the prisoner before the throne of God. And He cries out, Innocent. I've paid it all. It's done. The man has a right then to go free. We need to remember that that's a true story. It happens today. And perhaps it's not a stretch of the imagination to think that it's even happened this morning, this Sabbath day. Perhaps our King has set another prisoner free brought another backslider back to himself. But the story doesn't just end with their freedom. This takes us to the final point, what we'll look at this morning, their praise. This is in verses 15 and 16. I agree with what the psalmist says wholeheartedly in verse 15. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. Isn't that the truth? How fitting it is and how right we are and how wrong we are when we don't. We... I'm getting ahead of myself a bit, but so often instead we, we think to ourselves that we don't have time and we don't, we don't have time to praise the Lord or that we forget to thank Him. But don't we have time to complain? So often we have time to think and ponder continuously over everything that's wrong, over the difficulties and the sorrows that we face or have faced in this life. And we can ponder those over and over and over again constantly. But oh, that, oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men, men who didn't deserve it, men like you and me, We're just prisoners that God has set free. That's all I am standing before you this morning. I know what chains feel like. But praise God, I know what freedom feels like. Praise His name. And this is the great purpose of this psalm. Four separate times you find those words repeated that are in verse 15, that men would praise God for what He has done, for what He does this very day, and what He will do until the end of time. Let's not look at, at 
those who have gone astray, those who have backslidden from the church, or those, perhaps if you see someone homeless sitting on the side of the road, that's a man in chains. So often you can see it. But God saves men like that. God saves prisoners that we see every day. So I call on you this morning. Take time to think about that. Take time to remember what chains felt like. Take time to remember what it was like to sit in darkness and for how long, how long you were there. Take time to think about how easy it was for God to break those chains. And how glorious it was the day you could cry, I'm free. This portion of the psalm ends in verse 16 where it says, it's summarizing all that has come before it. It's telling you why. And almost, you almost feel like he doesn't have to, but he's repeating it again. This is why you should praise the Lord. For he hath broken the gates of brass and cut the bars of iron in sunder. I end with the words of C.H. Spurgeon on that verse. The gates of hell shall not prevail against us, neither shall the bars of the grave detain us. Those of us who have experienced His redeeming powers must and will praise the Lord for the wonders of His grace displayed on our behalf. We must praise Him, and we will praise Him. Amen.